This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. Co-hosting with me today is... Dan Paquette. And our guest today is Grace Simmon. Woo! Okay. Great to be with y'all. It is wonderful to have you. We're going to talk about beverages because everybody should have one in their hand. I am in with our DWA swag, which you'll get, Grace, if you would like. I am drinking a gin and tonic with a little bit of lime. Jen, oh. what boring non-alcoholic drink are you drinking today? I have tea, but it's like autumn harvest because I'm trying to pretend the summer's over. <laughs> it just okay. got here. Yeah. It's so hot. <laughs> so hot. I agree. Okay, Grace, what are you drinking? Well, my character would be having this filled with vodka, uh, and then she would be refilling it and refilling it. But this is just seltzer, but I do have room service coming later to deliver me some wine. Okay, good, good, good. That's important. Okay, so for those that do not know you, what do you write? Well, I write both fiction and nonfiction. My first three books are in the area of high school improvement. So not a lot of drinking involved there. And then my fourth (laughs) bad idea, bad idea. And then my fourth book, but my first novel is women's fiction. And it's the story about a psychologically complex character who's sort of lost her way and a lot of drinking involved. And then she meets this group of older women. And when their stories are told, everything changes. Their lives change, her lives change. And they travel from Washington, D.C. to Chesapeake Bay to Africa and to Norway. Lots of plot twists and lots of all over the map. And this is in one book. Okay. So I'm going to ask, because we talked a little bit about this before we started the podcast. And for those watching the YouTube, and if you haven't watched the YouTube, you should, behind you is a quilt with handprints. Tell us a little bit about that quilt because it was awesome. Oh, thank you. There's a scene very early on in the book and it plays out in several different parts. And Jessica is dragged down to this place on top of the Chesapeake Bay by her very, very bossy friend. And part of the ceremony that they go through there are they harvest an acre of land. And at the end of that time, the, all the students who are part of the harvest are invited into the barn to dip their hand in the paint and to leave their mark on the world. And at the end of the night, Jessica's bossy friend, Sonia, says, so Jessica, I saw you today. You did not leave your hand in the paint. This hiding from the world stops today and you will write about this place. So that was an important scene. And then it plays out at a couple of different places. Well, I was lucky enough to have a fabulous beta group of readers who read along while I wrote and then also read it when it was done. And I have a great friend named Marilyn, who's a fabulous quilter. So she had each of my beta group readers dip their hand in the paint and then leave it on the quilt. And then they wrote a quote from the book on their square. And they wrapped me in the quilt as we sat down to really um, dissect the book. So it's, it's very special to me. And it's so emblematic of the book. That is so amazing. I'll just tell you readers out there right now are thinking that's going to be worth a ton of money later. (laughs) 
<laughs> right after it goes to Netflix, I'm sure that is true. And, and right after Morgan Freeman plays Tobias in the book, I think we're good. Yeah, no, and, and that could happen like tomorrow. You never mm-hmm. know. You never know with these things. This is my hope. You you talk about writing educational. When did you decide I want to be a writer? Like, let's go on that journey. I think I always wrote. Um, I tell people writing is my first language, which of course makes no sense. But I always feel that if I have a choice of communicating in the oral word or the written word, I'm going to pick that written word. So I always felt more clear in that written word. So I've always, I think in even my very first job, I was an admissions counselor for a university. And even though I was doing the standard interviews of why do you want to come to the university and what do you think you'll bring to the university? I was also writing their brochures and I was writing their promotional materials. And then I worked for a travel agency and a friend of mine, and you you guys will love this because I was writing travel brochures, the travel newsletter, and I would sit down with stacks of travel brochures that would describe the little taverna and the lovely wine and the tapas that the waiter had brought to the table. And I would just plagiarize all of this and turn it into an article as if I was sitting in the above the Aegean Sea. So I think I've always written. That is cool. Did you write a lot as a teenager? Did you have a lot of teen angst that you wrote about? You know, the love that doesn't, but we all have these. We, we compiled a book of these so far. We're doing ball two, but we all, I think us writers for the most part have, whether it's a journal or a diary or some very emotional moment in time because the world was ending, heartbreaking, you know. Oh, I know. And John Redmond dated Carol Ann instead of me. And it was horrible. I know it was just heartbreaking. I kept a journal kind of more through junior high and that first year of high school. After that, I got very into drama. So I was able to emote those feelings through plays and direction. And But yes, of course. <laughs> of course, the love letters. Of course. The unsent love letters that, you know. Okay, so. Or the no- sent love letters, which you wish you hadn't sent. Oh, well, I made a copy. Yeah, no, there's some of those that are going to be featured. I'm going to black out the names, but some people sent me some stuff that'll be in the next Teen Inks book because I saved all of that stuff. So when, when did you um, begin writing? So you wrote for the travel. When did you actually publish a book? My first book, gosh, I think it came out, it might be 16 years ago this year. And it was really a fluke. I had written a bunch of educational articles. And the difference between, and we can talk about that, the difference between writing fiction and writing nonfiction is amazingly different to me. So I would get articles published in the educational magazines all the time. It was a simple thing to do. You'd build a little relationship. You'd send in an article. They would say, oh, that's great. Grace, do you want to write something again in a couple of months? I would shoot it and that would be easy. And then a friend of mine said, you know, you're traveling 200 days a year. You're traveling to 32 states. You are on a speaker circuit, although at that time it was pretty tiny. Why don't you just write down the kind of work you're doing around the field of education? I thought, well, that's really stupid. Who would want that? So I wrote that book and it went amazingly well and opened lots and lots of doors to me. You know, all of a sudden I was a keynote speaker at conferences of over 800 people. And then that was when I first got the 
vibe that people think authors are different. You know, I remember that first time sitting on the bus to go to the conference and people were holding my book and they were going, there's Grace. And I'm thinking, they're really silly. They didn't, you know, they should have seen me 10 minutes ago. You know, it, the whole aura of being an author, I just think is silly. But I wrote that book and then Corwin Press picked it up. So it got rewritten and then Corwin Press wanted another book. So I wrote that. And then I got dried up for in terms of education. I had 200 days a year is a lot to travel. So after about 10 years of that, I really backed away from that. 10 years after 10 years. Wow. The company, I thought you were like after a couple of years and then you're like after a decade of traveling 200 days a year. <laughs> it was crazy. And, you know, those of us who were road warriors, we talk about this all the time, that first time. And now I go back a bunch of years, you know, I'm old. But those first like two weeks when you're like sitting in the airplane working on your laptop because you just have a deadline and you just think you're so cool. And then like, you know, by the third week, you realize you can't open your laptop all the way because the guy in front of you has the seat reclined and all of a sudden it's not glamorous at all. No, totally. No, I can see that. So I think it's interesting you brought up the author thing because I, I constantly say you're actually the moment you're published, you're a celebrity. And I think authors don't realize that. And the impact that your writing could have had on a person could be incredibly profound in different ways. And you're sort of, you're a celebrity to them. And then they're seeing you. And then it's like, oh my goodness, they've accomplished. <laughs> and I, I always think it's funny because I think this is something authors should um, assume the moment that book is out there. Like you have to own it. But again, authors are also the most humble crowd of celebrities, I think, for the most part, because we, we knew what it take, took to get there, you know? Well, I think you're right in a couple of ways. First of all, I think for me, writing is the most naked thing I do. And even though Jessica is not autobiographical, you get inside my head, whether I'm writing an educational book, which will be very data-driven and outcome-driven, but still have a lot of stories in them, or you're in my novel, you're inside my head. So that's a very humbling piece. And also we spend so much time alone that to do the publicity part is not always comfortable. And I really, because of my drama background, I love the opportunity to talk to book clubs and Zooms and podcasters. So I really love that and thrive on that. But the idea of self-promotion is something I think most of us don't understand that we have to do. And that's, that's uncomfortable, at least for me. No, I agree. I do. Uh, the one thing I'm asked to talk about more than anything else, I talk about shameless self-promotion as an author. I, that's what I get asked to speak at conferences about because you do have to um, do that for yourself because, I mean, there's a lot of authors out there, not that they're better or worse, but some of them are better at marketing. So you have to get your book in front of people. Um, Absolutely. And you, you both know that as, you know, publishers yourselves, you probably have demands on your authors that they might not have initially anticipated. It's, it's just the nature of the beast at the moment. Actually, we, we as publishers, just to clarify that, let them know that way in advance and help them to do that. We have entire trainings and people that are, are there to assist them, because I think that's one of the hardest parts. For um, And one of the things wrong in the publishing industry is unless you're um, one of the top 1% or whatever it is that, you know, the J.K. Rowlings and Stephen Kings fall into, well, where they're willing to do all the marketing and 
PR and stuff like that for you. I think they leave too many authors on their own. They're like, yeah, cool. You have to market yourself. Go and throw you out of the nest. And you're like, you didn't even check to see if I had wings. Oh, you know, <laughs> and you have to hope you don't get eaten up by something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call that analogy all the way to the inevitable demise of the but, the, but the marketing is, is a second job. So, so how have you found, cause you were doing all this educational stuff. So your marketing was like keynote speeches and things like that. How is it different to market fiction? Oh, I think it's so different in two ways. First, it was easier to get a educational book published, even though it was vetted out to superintendents and to deans of universities. It was so much easier to get that book out into the world. You know, you just referenced the fact that you have such a slim chance. I think the data, and this is my educator coming in here, but I think the data is you have about a 1% chance of getting an agent today, and then about 10% chance of being published by a traditional house even after that. that. That was roughly the data, I think. And now you have to look at that whole scheme of indie publishing. And I actually go self-publishing, indie publishing. When I go self-publishing, there's that, you know, I'm going to go to Staples and make it nice. And then there's the more indie publishing and that's a whole scale. And then there are different houses. What I've done, my, my life is so much different. I didn't have to publish publicize at all the other three books. They sold themselves by the conferences, exactly what you said. Here, and this is funny because this is my book anniversary, right? This is a year out there. A year ago, I thought Facebook was stupid. And that's something that I don't like to say now. I didn't have an Instagram account. I And like most of us a year ago, we didn't know how to Zoom or most of us didn't, and let alone StreamYard or any of those other medium. So I'm very active on social media at Grace Salmon Writes on Facebook. I'm very active on Instagram. I do not have a ton of followers. But the whole idea of, you know, having to be on Goodreads and follow the people and ask people for reviews, that's so critical. I was thinking today of actually writing, it sounds like you already have it. But I was actually thinking of writing a a how-to beginner's guide to you're just publishing your book, which Facebook groups to go to, which podcasters, should you enter contests, should you pay for reviews, all of this myriad of things that is overwhelming if you're a first-time novelist, I think, let alone a first-time author. Agreed. A thousand percent is overwhelming. And I think part of it is it's also different depending on what you write. Yes. There are different groups. There are different things. We will, for our authors, we post uh, blog articles. We'll be posting more because we're firm believers that it's not a keep it secret and safe. It's not like my precious, not tell anybody else. We (laughs) tell everybody how to do stuff because for us, it's getting it to be successful for all authors, anybody who wants to be an author and wants to do the the steps you have to do, I think it's great. But it's true. Gone are the days of being up in the cabin with the typewriter and, you know, helping somebody will come do that because it's not the case. And you can't be an introvert either on these things. Like you just don't have that option anymore to be a full introvert because you have to talk about it. But let's talk about it. What made you decide to write a fiction book? What made you decide, like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write this novel. It it, It was interesting how that happened for me. Somebody said to me, 
what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I didn't really know the answer. I was winding down that 200 days a year was overwhelming. My parents were deceased. My children were adults. And I was at the point where really based on the gift of my education, that I really could have chosen to do a number of things, but I wasn't really sure what to do. So this character kept on playing around in my head of a woman who didn't know what to do because she wasn't part of, she wasn't attached to her parents anymore. She wasn't attached to her children anymore. She didn't really care about her career anymore. So I created Jessica. And through that, I just started playing with different scenarios of what would that look like and how would you find yourself? And all of a sudden, there was this novel in my head. That is amazing. Before now, had you ever attempted to write short stories or anything like that? Had you ever gone into the fiction realm? You know, I think I did a little bit in high school when we had to do creative writing, but no. No? No. I, th- I, I, th- I love the journey. I mean, because everybody has a journey. Some people are like born and they're like, oh, I'm going to be a writer. I'm three years old. Here's my crayon book. You know, and then other people, uh, I talked to an author the other day who had a very similar thing. She never wrote when she was younger, any of that. She got to a certain point and was, um, uh, she had uh, her, her son or something was just, had just turned 18 and she found out he had already married his girlfriend and didn't tell her. Oh, that's a story worthy thing. And she decided to channel that into a book. Because she had many emotions, but she channeled them into a book. But we're talking, uh, you know, somebody who has an 18-year-old kid to start, right? So this is not, um, no offense, but young, young spring chicken there, so to speak. And that was what catalyst. Otherwise, she hadn't written anything. And you just go, wow. Because you always, I think, assume that when somebody's an author, it's in their core, they are an author. And then you get other people that you're like, yeah, I just decided to write a book. Well, you know, and I envy, envy the people who say, oh, I'm never going to run out of stories. I'm never going to run out of stories. And I have author friends now, which a year ago I didn't have because I wasn't on Facebook because I thought it was silly. But now I have tons of author friends. And the ones who are just like, oh, no, you know, I write Michelle Cox is a great example. She's written so many books, award winning books, fabulous books. And she'll sit down and write you know, an hour a day, half hour a day, and then she'll promote the rest of the time. And she's such a generous person in terms of, you know, what you were saying in terms of sharing the the knowledge. But she just sits down, writes for an hour, and then goes off and does other work. If I'm not at my desk the whole time, I, I don't have the, the stream of thought. I don't have the rhythm. Uh, so I'm very, very jealous of those people who have a million stories in their head. Yeah. So, so how did you write your book? Like, did you plan it out? Did you, did you do an outline? Like, what was the process you went through? Oh, you know, I love that question because I just finished writing something on, are you a, you know, a planner or a pantser? And I have to tell you, a year ago, I didn't know what that was either. So for some of your readers or listeners who don't know what that is, a pantser is somebody who writes by the seat of her pants and a planner or a plotter is somebody who writes out the whole plot. Um, who knew? Yeah, so, planters too that do outlines and then wing it from the outline. There are many versions of this particular. Jen happens to be 
I'm going to outline, I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to spend 50,000 words plotting my novel before I actually write my novel. Yes. On the other hand, show up to my computer and just decide things. I'm, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. For me, the way I wrote it, Jen, was I knew where I wanted to go. In education, we always talk about starting with the end in mind or planning with the end in mind. So I had the question in the beginning. The question is, how is Jessica going to have a meaningful life? Is she going to have a meaningful life? So that was the question. And then the answer was, oh, I know what's going to happen to her. And then for me, the hard part is the middle and getting those two ends to meet. Mm-hmm. But I, I have to know the ending. That doesn't mean it's going to be set in stone because I have a character who shows up in the last three chapters that I don't know where he came from. <laughs> so, so, but I need to know the big pieces of the end. And I mentioned that there are a couple of really big twists and turns in the book. And there's this very dramatic shift that happens at the second to last chapter. And I kind of went, okay, that's that. And then my beta group of readers were like, whoa, 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 whoa. What were the other characters' reactions to that? And I was like, oh, is that important? Probably. And and apparently that was very important. So I had to rewrite those things. So I can't express enough the importance of a beta group or even a developmental editor. I don't know if either of you use those. Somebody who really sits down and goes, where did this come from and where is this going? Well, Jen happens to be an editor. Jen is a PhD in English literature and also teaches creative writing. So she does all that. And she's actually one of our editors. Now, I don't use a developmental editor, but I will, as I'm thinking about the story, because I have a ton of story ideas. I have so many notes. I have so many things written down. But as I'm formulating it, I will talk to my friends and go, hey, so here's the thing. And especially... Like I'm working on a serial killer novel series right now. I need to get more time to write, but um, I, Amen. I, I reached out to, um, I have a friend that was in the CIA and she has friends in the FBI. And I, one of the ladies that was on my podcast in the past was actually a, is a forensic expert for the state of Florida. So I can reach out to her and go, okay, let me say what I'm about to do in this thing. Is this a real thing? Like, You know, a lot of people in a lot of series think the FBI swoops in every single time there's a serial killer, and that is not the case. They actually rarely, quote unquote, swoop in. It's not silence and lamps. So it was interesting talking to the FBI about the fact that they don't swoop in like that. It's when it crosses multiple state lines, and there's like all these other characteristics that go in, and they actually have to be asked. They don't just show up. They have to be asked. And it was so I'll use those guys to kind of just make sure I don't sound dumb. But I, you know, developmental editing, I, I haven't utilized, but I know people that do. And I think it's a very, very vital tour, tool to show what you're trying to show them what you've written down and have them go. But what is it you're trying to say? Because yeah, those can be two different things at times. Yeah. What's your end game? What is your purpose? I love that you approach it with that academic, like, what's my question? And then what, what am I going for? And then that's what my article has to cover. And you can write a book in the same way, just yes. focusing on characters instead. So that's really, that's interesting. I like that. It's the educator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Speaking of the educator, but not really. Um, before we go to our break, which we have, no, I'm going to save this till after the break. We have to go to a break, but I'm going to save this because it's a vital question about 
what's next. But I'm on the edge of my seat. Yes, we'll be right back with Drinking With Authors. This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. recorded we're back what were you going to ask jen you have to actually ask while we're recording otherwise none of the fans yeah, I, was, get I was trying to ask before in case you didn't want to say on the air i was going to ask you where, what school you were at i actually own my own my own educational consulting firm oh all right cool. so we traveled into 32 states uh largely underserved populations so we wrote the educational plan for all of baltimore city schools washington dc schools detroit public schools houston public schools uh the educational plan for the entire state of louisiana that was wonderful but i also had the real gift jen of working on tribal lands and that was amazing to me so i worked on little tiny um um, there's what are called BIA, Bureau of Indian Affairs schools. And that was a unique gift to have a, a look into Native American peoples and cultures and education that shows up a little tiny bit in my book. But I'm a gatherer of stories. So I've worked in many, many schools and I've gathered stories from all of them. Okay, well, then that leads me to my question that I left a cliffhanger, very Empire Strikes Back during our 30-second commercial. I could barely hold on for the break. I know. It was literally, I was going, I can't even believe I did this to myself. Um, but my question is, what is next? So you have the Eves. What is your, it's been a year. Have you been working on a novel? Oh, this is the question I wish you hadn't asked. Um, well, I have, have to send those in advance because I start drinking and then I cannot be controlled. That's okay. Yes, the, the short answer is yes. Um, I have a book started, but if I'm very honest, which I always am, I think I have like five pages. I know where it's going to end. I know where it begins. But this whole process of a year of pandemic and learning all of this and having the real gift of being on 40 or 50 interviews. It's just a different part of my brain. And building community, building community is really important to me. And that's reflected in my book. You know, the, these old women who Jessica goes and meets have chosen to come together and live in community rather than live in, you know, assisted living or wherever. So I really have had a great gift of creating community in the last year. I'm an administrator on a great um, Facebook page called Bookish Road Trip. And I think we have 2000 members. And I take no credit for any of that because I've been in the group. I've been in the group for a long time, but I've been an administrator for a minute. So there's a lot of that going on and a lot of author connections. I'm big about sharing resources. So I'm putting together something that I'm calling Author Talk Network. And it's just some authors that 
are willing to go and do Zooms to communities or be live in communities. So I'm putting that together. There's a couple of different author projects that I'm working on. So those are the big nexts. I have a big reveal coming out in July. Um, well, what is that? Because this podcast is airing in July. So okay. what it, it's airing July 21st. Perfect. So what is the big reveal? Okay, so the big reveal for me is, again, one of the things we don't know that op a door opens for us as we become authors, and you're so kind to think that we're celebrities, but um, I did a great interview, or the interviewer was great, on a radio show called Spunky Old Broads. <laughs> and love that. Isn't that great? I love that. I love it. And Gail Carson is a hoot. I can never remember if she's 82 or 84 or 86. She does, I think, six interviews a day, which is six hours of what the three of us are doing right now. And I'm seeing Jen's eyes go like this. How does she do six of these a day? So she enjoyed our podcast so, so much, which goes out on a radio show first and then loops back into a podcast. She was kind enough to invite me to have my own radio show. Oh, wow. Yeah. So my big reveal, I think my first taping, we only, we only tape once a month. We tape four shows in a row. And uh, my first taping is July 19th. We'll air in August. That is it's going to be called The Storytellers. It's very exciting. So I, I think it's interesting that you have gone to your educational roots in being an author, because all the things you're talking about doing have to do with educating authors and stuff like that. It's almost like you put your old hat back on and went, I'm going to educate on all these things that I've learned. I think that's interesting. Well, I think it's interesting. And also maybe because I don't have another book and I'm kind of sad about that at the moment. But, but, you know, do you, so you have five pages. Do you make time every day to write, like get up in the morning and write first thing for a little while? No, and I really have to. With the gearing up for the radio show, and that's a whole nother learning curve. I had to learn a simple thing to most people, a calendar program. I'm 68 years old. So I had to learn how to do all that automatic scheduling so that they get the invitation and then they make the schedule, which took me a long, long time to figure out. And then they get the automatic response and then they get the prompt the day before the show. So there's a lot of learning for me. And I'm not ashamed to say I'm not the quickest learner, even though I used to be very techno-fluent. Uh, I'm not as techno-fluent as I used to be. But yes, that's really captivating to me, that idea of my, my roots are in education. The other thing that's kind of fun for me in going back to the radio show is that my father, uh, is now deceased, but he started out in radio as a radio director way, way back. He would be 103 yesterday, I think. Oh, wow. So he was an early radio director of all of those old radio shows, you know, where the horse runs through and there's a guy sitting there with the coconut hooves going like this. That was my dad. Oh, he wow. had. Oh, my gosh. He had to calculate when he was then turned into a television director after he went off to World War II. He turned, came back. Radio was dead, although I think radio is now more alive than it was there for a while. Radio was, for all intents and purposes, dead. And he became the television director for Edward R. Murrow, who. Oh. Yes. That's awesome. 
It, it was amazing. Mr. Murrow was an amazing man, you know, certainly most known for his World War II reporting. But my dad was the television director on Person to Person, uh, which aired in 1953 and ran till 1959. And I only know that because I was born in 53, the week the show opened, and I became their mascot. So when my dad sat with Harry and Bess Truman, they sent me home a present. When he did Sherry Lewis, she sent me home a present. So it was a really unique time. And to be invited back into radio somehow feels incredibly lucky and incredibly close to my dad's heart. That is amazing. And how are you not writing that book? Like... (laughs) Oh, tell me, I need a developmental editor, Jen. What should I write? That alone is a great idea for a character, you know, that coming full circle, coming back around to your your family and your, that's amazing. Okay, we'll talk after the show. You should talk. She's amazing. I'll give you all the contact information. But But I have to share, as long as we're on that and as long as we have time, I want to share with you an amazing thing that happened. So as part of this radio show, I became a member of the Florida uh, Florida Broadcasters community. And I'm driving up to my first meeting. I'm thinking, oh, I wish dad was here. He would be so proud. And I get into the room and truth be told, I'm probably 20 years younger than a lot of the people in the room. Oh. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, you know, dad would probably really like this. And during the course of the event, the there's a much older gentleman there who I had met during the meet and greet and during the event the woman at society bites radio says and now we're going to do a lifetime achievement award and we're going to give it to jim and jim started out in early radio at cbs radio and then went to abc television where he became president eventually of abc news and i just went he knows my dad My dad started out in CBS radio. My dad went to ABC. Jim was the head of ABC. And at the end of it, I went up to him. I said, I know I've already introduced myself, but is there any chance you know my dad, Bob Salmon? And this man's got to be in his 90s. And he said, Bob Salmon, one of the nicest men I ever met. How was that not in the book? Like, I'm (laughs) Tears, sobbing, ugly, 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 TikTok worthy, ugly crying. Really, you remember him? <laughs> so I just I, had to tell you that. Well, you know, that's almost like whatever belief system you have, that's almost like your your thoughts when you're driving up, your dad going, Hey kiddo, I'm proud of you. I'm there. I think that's amazing. And at 68, I still need dad to say that. So how cool is that? You know, it's, it's cool when you achieve things. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I lost my mom when I was 27. I'm 48 now, so I don't care. Age is a thing. And I, there are things constantly I go, I really wish she, I could tell her about this thing that I've achieved, right? Absolutely. And I, to me, I, I, I totally get it. I do. But I think that's phenomenal. And you obviously have a very... Uh, a luck fairy with you or something, whatever we want to call there, that you have these things that are just happening for you. I think that's amazing. Thank you. My brother always says, I'm sorry, Jen, go ahead. I said, and that's a story. Oh, thank you. We'll talk later. I'll make a list for you. Thank you. My brother always says, the harder I work, the luckier I get. So um, I've been 
I've been working really hard, but, you know, you said something that's so important and it's, it's in the book, you know, the, the subtitle of my book is when our stories are told, everything changes. And it's very much about the stories that we wish or the conversations we wish we had with our parents, if they were still here or with our children, if they were ready to listen, you know? It's very true. It's very true. And, you know, you said something, and I, I think that there's a difference between have, having to work hard and loving working hard. You know, what me and what me and Jen do here between our day, day jobs that we still have and um, our writing as writers and then our publication company, like we're, we're going 10, 12 hours a day usually yes. and on the weekends. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because people go, wow, you just do so much. But when you're doing the stuff you're passionate about and you love, it's actually not work. I mean, there is work involved, but it's, it's rewarding just accomplishing the things you do versus when you're working and you're doing something that you do not love. And you're like, I hate everybody in the world. <laughs> one more human says one dumb thing to me and I'm done, you know? <laughs> But so how do you strike the balance? Right. That's you know, uh, how do I strike the balance? I, I'm a firm, one, one of the biggest things in my day job, cause I actually, I quit um, day jobs about three years ago, a little over three years ago and um, almost four years ago now, actually. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to go write. I'm going to drive Uber. I'm going to bartend a screw life. Right. I'm, and I set myself up and this is something I talk about a lot is you have to set yourself up in a position where you can achieve your goals. And mm -hmm. I, I tell this, I, I do lots of talks and stuff like that too, as an HR professional with interns, all kinds of people. I actually had three, three panels this week. And I said, you know, if you decide you want to have that very expensive car, know that you're now going to have to a job that afford have a job that affords you that very expensive car or that very expensive house. Don't get me wrong. I look at some of these mansions. I was looking in the New York, uh, the Wall Street Journal that had a bunch of things about all these beautiful houses and cabins up in Cape Cod and all these places. And I look at those and I go, that's fantastic. And then, you know, the maintenance costs on that bad boy is about five grand a month. And I'm like, hard pass, hard pass, because I don't want to do that. But I also don't want to be in a position where I have to make $5,000 a month to pay for my house that I have. Like, that's not something that sparks joy for me. So <laughs> I set myself up. Um, I was very fortunate that somebody I've known for about 20 years asked me to come help and um, at his company. And it's been fun, but it's because I'm having fun. And it's really interesting because I don't have to have this job that I have right now. I don't have to. I'm getting to a certain point, all this stuff, but I don't have to have it. So it's kind of cool because if tomorrow I'm like, screw it, done, I can be done and move on. So I find that um, one of the things that's missing, there's a little bit of gin here, everybody, for, so forgive me for my little soapbox, but one of the things that, and, and Jen's heard me talk about this a lot though, is that if you're going to accomplish a goal, such as a radio show or writing a book or any of this, you have to treat it like a job. You have to put Absolutely. the time in, you have to go, I'm gonna do this. We started the publication company back in January of 2020, you know, right as the pandemic hit. And we know that we have to work four and five hours a night to accomplish the goal of making that successful. 
You can't sit around and wish and hope that you're Marilyn Monroe and somebody's going to walk into a damn soda shop and see you and put you in Playboy. That shit doesn't happen. That's not how dreams are made. They're made by working towards your goal. So anyway, that is my soapbox. But I think you have to put the time in to do that, which was why I say maybe first thing in the morning you should dedicate an hour or so to writing your books because you obviously do have a lot of great ideas. Thank you. And Jen's going to help me with that. Jen, how do you strike balance? Now I'm trying to learn from both of you. It's the educator. I stay up all night after my daughter goes to sleep. And then I have a lovely husband who gets up with her in the morning and brings her to school so that I can sleep in. So I have support, which is how I manage because I'm also a night owl. I work better at night anyway. So the house goes to sleep and I start working at about nine o'clock at night. And then I work until three or four in the morning and then I can sleep until noon because my husband has all the morning stuff taken care of. So I just moved my schedule and have a great, great husband. (laughs) That's amazing. I, when I was starting my educational consulting firm, I had the same thing. I was a single parent. I had two kids Mm -hmm. and I did that whole weird, okay, get the kids to sleep, throw in the laundry, make lunches for tomorrow, get to your desk at nine, be there till three in the morning, catch in my case, three to four hours worth of sleep and then get up and get the kids off to school. But I couldn't do that now. It's not sustainable. If you wake up first thing in the morning and grab your tea, your coffee, whatever your, your jam is, and your kombucha, whatever, different people drink things and take an hour and go, I'm going to use this hour to write. You know, I, I heard, I've heard so many authors say things like I put 250 words on the page because they'll start and it'll just keep flowing for them. But at least they hit a milestone even if it's giving yourself three or four sprints in that hour to hit a certain number of words, because what is it, Jen, on average people can write in, what was it, 20 minutes? What is it? Usually the first time you do it, it's it's like 150 to 250. And then the next time is 300 to five. And then once like I sprint constantly. So I'm at like 800 now, but that's amazing. The more, the more you do it, the better you I find that I'm very good still at technical writing. If I write for my community newsletter and I write for a couple of blogs and things for other people. And if somebody says, hey, I need, you know, 500 words in the next hour on five things authors should need to know, I can churn that out in a second. If somebody says to me, oh, you know, we're putting in new roads in the development, could you write about that? done that that for some reason is very quick for me I think it's that idea of that big commitment to the novel and I know and and one of you will remember the name of this app I want to say it's called Scrivener something like that where you can like set a timer and see I would just say that's stupid I'm turning off the timer no we do it on our phones yeah or I do I I do YouTube searches for 20 minutes of epic music because I like epic Epic movie music when I write, or there's uh-huh. like so many different 20 minute sections that you can use. But I was just thinking, you have so many like little ideas about different community things. You could take all of that, make it happen to one person, and then that's your story. You know, it's sort of like slice of life. They're changing the roads in the neighborhood. How is she getting involved? <laughs> no, I think it, I, I think that would be work good. on it. Maybe maybe short stories because a novel is a huge commitment novels so many thousands and thousands of words maybe short stories where you do a short story about 
Um, even you could do a short story about getting the radio show and meeting somebody who worked there. Like that's just a short story. And you've already had the story. You just have to fictionalize it. You know? This is great. I thought we were just going to be drinking. Now I'm getting like therapy. This is fabulous. <laughs> that's what we do here at Drinking with Authors. <laughs> But, okay, so you told us how you got inspired in all of that for your writing. Um, and you you decided this is what you want to do. So when you decided that, and then, of course, got handed a radio show, you know, like you do. Um, like people do. I'm going to go be a full-time writer. Let me have a radio show. Um, <laughs> what is, so you had a reading group. What about your fans? So this book has been out a year. What has that been like? hearing from people that read your book. That has actually been so fun, so humbling, so exciting. It's my favorite thing. I've, if you ask me, like, what are the my favorite things? The first would be interacting with readers. The second is definitely doing what we're doing right now. It, it's just a hoot that anybody would want to spend time with me and hear about the book and hear about the journey. It's, it's fun. The part about the readers has really been touching. The youngest character in my book is 15 and the oldest is 94. And I have this amazing group of people who will write to me and say, you know, this was so powerful for me because I haven't talked to my mom in years and this book helped bring us together. I have one of my favorite quotes is by this 94-year-old woman who says to me, and, and this is, I know you're going to tell me to write another book. She said, I want to take my place with the eaves. Will you write another book in my lifetime? That's um, how do you not sit down and start writing a book? <laughs> You're hard. Oh, no, I'm a taskmaster of epic proportions. Anybody who knows me, because that's part of my thing is if you have a dream and you, you want to do this, part of my drive is to make people around me successful at whatever the hell it yes. is they want to do. But sometimes I have to kick them in the pants and be like, I don't know what the hell you think you're doing, but you're going to move forward and I'm going to push you till you start running and do it on your own. Because... We're our worst enemies. Oh, I, I think that's so important. Our worst enemies. And it, as writers and as any creative sort, right, I think we have the responsibility to help each other continue to be successful. Absolutely. Because, you know, you don't. I do that with artists I know and painters and performers. Like the moment I hear about anything, I'm like, yes, let's help. Let me do this because... I get just as much joy from my writing and my readers. Um, and it's a lot of joy from some of them being astonished that I killed everybody they liked in the story. But um, as I do from seeing people be successful, when I see people achieve their goals and get their things and have that admiration, I'm like, this is awesome. It is. And Nola Nash, who's a great author and a, a podcaster and just a generous spirit. She has a line that I steal from her frequently. And it says, to make somebody else's light brighter in no way diminishes my own. It's so true. And, and I just love that. And, you know, the author community, as you know, because you've been doing this longer than I have, is very generous. For example, I think I have... I'm going to say close to 1,100 Facebook friends, but they don't all follow me. So, you know, that's a whole different algorithm. And then you have to go out and say, please follow me. And that's like 
not pleasant. And over on the Instagram world, I get a lot of people who, you know, like and comment, but I don't have a lot of followers. So apparently there, the big secret is to hashtag the heck out of your post. It's hashtagging. It's also sharing posts that are already viral and sharing other people's posts because you get their fans and also liking other people like going, I always tell my authors, and this is true on Twitter and Instagram, go If you're a writer on Twitter, go follow a bunch of people that follow an author that's similar to you. Yes. Right. Because they'll follow you back and then they'll get interested in you. And on Instagram, it's, it's about the community. I think on Instagram, obviously there are different people that take lots of duck face pictures of themselves. But I think when it comes to authors, a lot of readers, you need to brand bridge that gap between, you know, people that like your stuff and people that like another author and the more famous and known for the authors. But there's also on Facebook, I don't know if you already have it. Did you create a reader group for yourself? No. Okay. Well, you need to fix that almost immediately. Okay. I've got to get off the podcast now. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Up, I'm going to broadcast that you dumped the podcast. We're not even done. <laughs> no, That's no. Fine. I, I, that's one thing I say, because if you create a reader group, whatever it is, and I I like to talk about Kenya Wright, who's one of the most fabulous authors I know. She's an interracial author and she writes like 10 books a a year. It's phenomenal. And me and Jen are both incredibly jealous of this human being, but she created uh, her writer group was called the K killers because she writes a lot of mixed genres and stuff like that. She likes horror and she interacts with her readers all the time in that group and has spawn um allows other authors to do takeovers like i've done a takeover twice in her group and stuff like that and it's it's how you build the power but you build your readership because you share we're going to share together so you need to create a facebook group anyway well i i don't have a group but um, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, and I've, I've loved doing the author takeovers. The community is just really um, fabulous. I would say for some of your listeners that my best promo was my book trailer. People love having a book trailer and a lot of people don't have one of those. So that's a tip I always like to share with um, other authors to, to get a book trailer. Yes. And know that with Shutterstock and iMovies and all kinds of things, you can create them yourself. Do not pay somebody thousands of dollars to do it. Oh, no. I I actually work with a fabulous guy who happens to be my brother. But no. (laughs) He's now done it for multiple other authors because authors will say, my gosh, your trailer is so great. And he's incredibly reasonably priced very very quick and they look incredibly professional so your brother so we can shout out him and to our authors listening uh his name is bob salmon he's out on facebook but you can contact me at my website which is grace at grace salmon.net and salmon is spelled like that not like the fish and uh i'm happy to connect you it's really that's been a really amazing piece it just gives you a level of credibility i think are you serious about the work? You know, you talked about the work. And I think it was, for me, a real calling card that says, I am serious about this work. It is. Well, I've, I've met, unfortunately or unfortunately, but I've met um, hundreds of people that say they're writing a book. That yeah. never write a book. Right. You know, I'm going to be an author. 
if you're going to be anything, I don't care if you want to be a cupcake decorator. I don't care if you want to be a cosplay star. Like you can pick anything that other people may not go, oh, that's a real thing. But you have to actually do it. Like you yes. have to do it. You have to write a, a novel. If you're going to write a novel, write a damn novel. Like yeah. but don't go, I'm going to, because if you, again, think it's magically going to happen, it's not because if you're writing a novel, guess what? You have to actually write it. Nobody else is going to give it to you. It's a funny thing about that, huh? Yeah, except for ghostwriting, which don't get me started with that. It's a whole other <laughs> thing I think is absolutely... I could probably ghostwrite a novel really fast for somebody. <laughs> well, um, you and Jen are going to talk, and you will ghostwrite a novel for yourself so that you have your own novel. And I then you can tell people, I ghostwrote this for myself. <laughs> I, I love that. We could write a novel about an author who's a ghostwriter for herself. See? Look at you. Getting involved with community projects. Oh my goodness. Okay. We are actually at the end of our hour. I cannot believe that. Um, what piece of advice would you give authors out there? One piece of advice. You 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 already gave up the uh, get a book trailer, so you can't use that. You have to come up with a new piece of advice. I would tell every author this thing that my publisher said to me, which is know why you want to write. If you want to write so that you have this story inside of you that has to get out, like Maya Angela would talk about, then just write your story. But you have to know, do you want it to be real? Do you want it to be out there in the world? Are you willing to put in the work? But you, when I sat down with my publisher for the first time, he said, why do you want to write? And I said, well, I have this story. It's pretty much done. And everybody tells me it should be a book. I think you have to ask that essential question. Most authors are never going to get rich off of their book. That's just not going to happen. It can certainly open other doors to you, like a radio show or many other. It, it may open many doors for you. But you have to know in your heart why it is you're writing. And when I got that continual pushback from my publicist, publisher, the answer was, I have a story to tell that I want to spark conversations. And that's what the book has done. And so whether it does get to be that, you know, Morgan Freeman, please, please, Mr. Freeman, um, whether it gets to be that series or any of the other fabulous actors who could play him and the other characters, I, my, I, I've already reached the success that I had initially. So I'm not gonna be frustrated with the royalty check or a lack of a royalty check or anything else because I met my goal. That's so know your goal. That's awesome. Did you frame your first royalty check? Oh, room service just came with wine. Oh, wow. Well, that'll be really good for the rapid fire questions. We're going to have to make you chug that before that episode. But did you frame your first royalty check? Yes. It's automatic deposit. Oh, it's automatic. Well, see, that's not framing. That's boring. Okay. So I, I think it's funny because I was talking about with the accountant today and I was talking about royalties and I'm like, I think people sometimes frame the first one that's a written check and stuff. And I go, how do we account for the fact we actually paid them, but they never cashed it because they framed it? Well, today, in today's day and age, can't we take a picture deposit it that way and then frame it anyway? I would think so. I think I'm going to have to send instructions to go, guys, you can't make it appear like I didn't pay you. So 
it's going to be interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay, people, people should people should do that. It's very anticlimactic to have it, you know, when you're balancing your checkbook and then you go, oh, okay, here's your royalties and you just enter it into your Quicken account. It's very anticlimactic. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. How do people find you, Grace, if they want to look up your book and are your radio shows? Well, apparently they're going to be part of my readers group since I'm going to start that on Facebook. Yes. No, I, I actually, but they, I, I think they should join your readers group, which will be on Facebook when they, when it happens. Airs. So they can find me at, at Grace Salmon Writes on Facebook and on Instagram. They can, um, but this is something other authors and I just digress for a second. Most people who have author pages on Facebook have much more activity over on their personal page. So my personal page is just Grace Salmon. It's not like the fish. It's S-A-M-M-O-N. Also, you can email me anytime at grace at gracesalmon.net. My website is gracesalmon.net. And I respond really fast. If you're in a book club, if you want to Zoom with an author, uh, I actually, one of my most fun things was somebody contacted me and said, I just got your book. My jaw is dropping at the end of chapter one. Can I talk to you? And I called her like the next day. And then every day she sent me what chapter she was on. It was a blast. Oh, my goodness. Got to be careful of that. That, that could get into Stalkerville very quickly. Adora, I was a little worried about that. Yeah, I would. Was, don't give me your address. Okay. So that is amazing. Your radio show is called? The Storytellers, and it will be on Society Bites Radio and on SOB, which stands for Spunky Old Broads. And then it turns into a podcast, and I'm still learning where that goes. Oh, that's exciting. Well, if it's a podcast, then it's wherever podcasts are broadcast, iTunes, Spotify, that sort of thing. It's a whole network. You have been amazing to have on the show, Grace. Thank you so much for being here. You're both incredibly kind, helpful, and you do such a great service. Plus, you drink with authors. Yes, I do. Well, that's the service I do more than anything else. Okay, this has been Drinking with Authors. Our guest has been Grace Salmon. Um, I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been... Sam Piquette. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.